Please be seated. It's good to see you, everybody here this morning on this beautiful spring morning. It looks springish till you get outside. I wanted to have church outside today. I thought we could sit under the tree. Fairy Ramey said no, so we'll just have to go, go at it in here. Uh, we have been for several weeks, for those of you who may be visiting with us, we have been in the book of Hebrews and we have been uh, looking throughout that book about what the writer has to tell us. And we've understood from the very beginning that the theme of the book, really, although there's lots of themes, but the one we've been hitting it at from, from our angle this time is the idea of encouraging one another. Uh, the writer was writing to a group of Christians, many of whom had friends and, and relatives, perhaps, who had already turned their back on their Christianity. Some of the people to whom he was writing were struggling. And they were on the verge of going back to their former way of life. And so he tells us, encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And we have come to share in Christ, hold firmly to the end the confidence that we had at first. And we've been using this as our theme verse, that we are to encourage each other. And this is, this is one of those two-way situations as, as, a, as the family of God, as the body of Christ. We are, we are working together. And there are going to be times when, when I am weak and when I am down and I need you to encourage me. And then there are going to be times when you are weak and you are down and, and I need to encourage you. And that means partly that, that we have to have a fellowship, a relationship with each other. Because how are you going to know when I'm weak? How are you going to know when I need encouragement? If, we're not around one another. If we don't have that fellowship and that, that uh, communion and that community together with each other. Well, we've finally reached the last chapter. Last sermon, but the last chapter. And last week we looked at chapter, began to look at chapter 13. And, and I kind of put it into this perspective. There's a lot of kind of single topics that the writer throws in at the very end. But what all of them kind of have in common is in chapter 11, he defined faith and he gave that great list of all those great people of faith from the past. And then in chapter 12, he kind of talked about, you know, our our inspiration for faith, our motivation for our faith and, and the hope that we have and what God has promised to us. And in chapter 13, I think what he's saying is now this is what your faith ought to look like. It's one thing to say you have faith. It's one thing to understand what the definition of faith is. It's one thing to look at that hall of fame of people who have faith. It's one thing to want faith, what faith has to offer, what God has promised. But it's, it's another thing to live your life faithfully. How will that look? And so we looked at some of the things uh, at the beginning of last week. Now... When I try to come up with sermons, and you may think, you mean you actually try? Uh, but when I'm, when I'm studying, and I've decided, you know, okay, this is the passage of scripture that we're going to look at this Sunday. Sometimes I have to really stretch to come up with the points, you know, 
to kind of make an outline, to kind of make it something that maybe you can remember that is kind of structured. And, and you know, you know, sometimes you look at me like, he's kind of stretching that one a little bit, you know? Well, today's lesson is not that at all. Today's lesson, the writer of Hebrews specifically gave us the three points that we're going to have. He didn't give us a point, but he gave us the three points that we're going to look at this morning. So Hebrews chapter 13 and verse four, he writes, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Now, for the last several months in the high school class on Sunday mornings, we've been doing what I call the dating class. And some of this material, the kids, the high school kids, elites have already heard before. But I told them, I said, I'm not picking on you because Sunday morning, I'm going to be picking on all of us. But a couple of weeks ago, it may have been a week ago, I told them, this kind of a parable. And I want you to put yourself in a teenager's shoes. Now, for some of you, that's a stretch. For some of you, I don't know if your mind can go, you know, quite back there, but give it a shot. And so I was talking to the teenagers and I said, imagine this, that you decided that you wanted to do something extra, extra special for your grandmother at Christmas. You wanted to get her a really special gift. And so you decided that what grandma needed more than anything else in the world. Now, some of you are just going to relate more to grandma than the teenager. I understand. But you wanted to get grandma an iPad. You wanted to get grandma an iPad because you thought then she can be on Facebook and she can be on on Snapchat or Twitter or what's the other one? One of my Instagram. Thank you. Yeah. See, I don't even know. But anyway, Grandma can be on all of that and see pictures and and things like. And Grandma lives away, by the way. You know. And so then you can do uh, uh, the uh, uh, where you talk to each other, the video thing, huh? FaceTime. Yeah, FaceTime or the other one. Skype. Yeah. I oh, see. You know. Uh, maybe you need to get me an iPad. <laughs> yeah, I don't own one. But you know, those things where you can, you know, you can, you can video to each other and talk to each other and see each other and all those kinds of things. And then, you know, you can do so much more with it. You can, you, you can download Netflix and grandma can watch all her favorite shows on, on that, you know, or Hula. Yeah. Hulu. See, I knew I. Need to stay in my lane, right? Okay. And, and so you want to get this for grandma because you think it'd be the coolest thing in the world. But if you're going to get it for grandma, you want to get her the best. And they're expensive. So you work. You do odd jobs. You save your allowance. You do whatever. And you save up all this money. And you buy grandma an iPad for Christmas. And she's down, and on Christmas Day, she opens it up. And, you know, like a good grandma would do, she says, Ooh, thank you, honey. Doesn't have a clue to what it is. So you spend all day, Christmas Day, showing her how to use it. 
You download all the apps that you wanted to have that you think are going to be perfect for. And you're so excited. And then grandma goes home. And you don't ever see anything on Facebook. You don't ever see. You try to Skype her and she never answers. You try to do the other thing. Snap. snap, No. What's the other one besides Skype? FaceTime. That's it. Okay, you try to do that and she never answers, you know, and 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 so finally, you know, after months, y'all go visit grandma. And so you ask grandma, you say, grandma, why don't you ever use the iPad that I bought you for Christmas? And she says, oh, honey, I use it every day. She said, look at my kitchen table. It used to wobble. And that iPad is the perfect thickness to go right under that table leg to keep my table from wobbling. And you look down and there's the iPad with the screen all smashed and everything. And it's totally worthless and useless. And she's totally destroyed the iPad. Now I ask the kids, how do you feel? How does that make you feel? I think that's kind of how God feels. God says marriage ought to be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. Marriage and the physical relationship between husband and wife are perhaps the greatest earthly gifts that God has given to mankind. And yet we have abused and misused them to the point I wonder if God just isn't so sad. By what he sees. This is the only slide. For today. Because I told you. The three points are right there. First of all. Our writer tells us that marriage. Should be honored. By all. Marriage is God's. Idea. Marriage is God. Ordained. Marriage is God's. Gift. It is the earthly relationship that he has sanctified and made holy above all other earthly relationships. And you know what? It didn't take him very long to create marriage. All the way back in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 27 and 28, it says, talking about creation. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Now, that's chapter one. That's in that long discussion of day one, God did this. Day two, God did that. And it gets down to day six and he created animals and then he created man. Chapter 2 is kind of one of those pullouts of chapter 1. Chapter 1 says he created male and female. Chapter 2, he's going to describe exactly how he did that. Beginning in chapter 2 in verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. And he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, 
No suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman for she was taken out of the man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I mentioned this many times when I'm performing a wedding ceremony. Day one, God saw what he had done. Said it's good. Day two, he saw what he had done. It's good. Three, four, five, even six. God saw, said it was good. And then he said for the first time, something wasn't good. It's not good that man should be alone. And God said, I am going to create a special, unique, holy, sanctified relationship. And he created woman and he created marriage. Now, just as kind of an aside, we did this when we were talking to the kids. And maybe I've mentioned it here before. You know, one, 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 one TV show that I refuse to watch. And many of you may watch it and that's fine. Is The Bachelor. Not going to watch The Bachelor. I get the general idea of The Bachelor. God produced and directed the first episode of The Bachelor. Did you hear what was going on in that creation scenario? God said, it is not good that man should be alone. And so he began to parade before man all the animals and the birds of the air for Adam to name. I don't think the intention was... Just for Adam to name them. I think God was saying to Adam. Find you a helper suitable. Find you a companion. And so he parades by. Mrs. Hippopotamus. And Adam says. I'm going to call her Hippopotamus. And God says, and? And Adam goes, are you kidding me? No. That's not going to work. And so all the other animals he's bringing, and I, I, and I believe that this is true because at the end of that, naming of all the animals, that's when it says, but there was no suitable helper for Adam. Can you imagine going through the whole zoo, naming all the animals? And God saying, what about Miss Tiger? What about Miss Lizard? What about Miss Porcupine? Adam says, no, 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 no. And so he causes a great sleep to fall on Adam. And takes the rib out of Adam. And as Adam wakes up. And he begins to rub his eyes. There before him is Eve. Now, the direct quote says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Let me translate that for you. When Adam wiped his eyes, he said, 
That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. And God sanctified that relationship. And he sanctifies marriage. Today, marriage is under attack from Satan through the changes in our society. Not anything new. A lot of this is going on in the days in which our writer wrote. But our, in our society, marriage is not honored. It is marginalized. Whether it's same-sex marriages, divorce, or simply choosing to live together without being married. God has always intended marriage to be one man and one woman for life. That's what he has wanted. In Matthew chapter 9, some of the people came to Jesus and said, Hey, is it all right to get divorced for any and every reason? I mean, is it, is it okay? And Jesus said, Are you crazy? Well, I'm paraphrasing. But not much. Do you not know how it was from the beginning? And he rattles off the whole creation thing again. And God created them male and female. And for this reason, a husband will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. And then he added something. What God has joined together, let man not separate. That is God's intention, Jesus says. That has always been God's plan. That has always been God's intention. One man, one woman for life. It's important that the church, as the church, that Christians do not give in to this political or social pressure to redefine marriage or treat marriage as anything but holy and honorable, a special institution that God created for our benefit and for our blessing. So special is the marriage relationship. That when God wanted to find the strongest illustration to describe the love that Jesus has for the church, he used husband-wife relationship. So holy and sacred does God consider marriage. But in Revelation, when it describes the end of time and the church coming to Jesus, it's as a bride prepared for her husband. The church being the bride of Christ. God wouldn't do that if marriage was nothing, no big deal. If it wasn't special. If it wasn't holy. And here he tells us that we must honor marriage. Secondly, he says, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. As part of marriage, God gave a special gift to the husband and wife, a unique, intimate, physical relationship to be shared exclusively together as husband and wife. He said, and the two shall become one flesh. And just like Marriage throughout the history of mankind, we have abused and misused God's gift of sexual intimacy. Now, I think we all understand the importance 
faithfulness within a marriage. In fact, in that same discussion of divorce in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus said, no, it's not that way from the beginning. You shouldn't be divorcing your wives for any and every reason. He said, in fact, unless you're divorced because of adultery, you don't remarry. That physical, sexual relationship is so special, so special, that God gives that as the one excuse for divorce and remarriage. That says something, doesn't it? That God would allow for that exception to his plan of one man, one woman for life. He gives that one exception. And I think that that is important. Now, I want to say this. Even though he allowed for that exception, it's not an absolute. It's not a must. Just because that physical relationship, bond, trust, whatever has been broken. Doesn't mean that the marriage has to be dissolved. The Bible teaches us about forgiveness and trying to forgive one another and work things out. And we know all of that. Forgive one another as God has forgiven you. And, you know, that's all throughout the Bible. And if it applies to all kinds of relationships, why would it not certainly apply to the marriage relationship more than any other? I know. I know that there are some here this morning who have experienced that betrayal, that unfaithfulness. But through forgiveness, through faithfulness to God, through a desire to to keep the marriage together, it has lasted. And that certainly is what God would prefer, I believe. Because it goes back to that plan of one man One woman for life. But keeping the marriage bed pure goes back to before the marriage. You know, we look at that, you know, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. And we understand, you know, you don't commit adultery, you're faithful to your spouse. But keeping the marriage bed pure has more to do or has just as much to do with the purity of the marriage bed before marriage. It means keeping ourselves pure until marriage. Just like marriage, our world has cheapened God's honorable gift. One of the things that faces our teenagers is that they are growing up in a society much different than me, way different than some of you who are older than me, but much different than myself. Because the idea now is, you know, and this is what you hear all the time, whether it's in the music, the media, or movies, or whatever it can be. It's just sex. It's just sex. It's no big deal. Everybody's doing it, you know? What, what, what's, the, what's the hang-up? What's the big deal about? It means keeping ourselves pure until marriage. The purity of marriage bed means keeping it, un, as I said, un, un, until marriage. And you see, when it says to be ought to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, the idea that it's just sex is just like taking the iPad and putting it under the table leg. 
It's taking what is special, what God created as special, and misusing and abusing it. God says marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed should be kept pure. Not just after you're married, but before you're married as well. Now, this is audience participation from my teenagers. I told them I was going to call them on the carpet on this. When I told them I was going to do it, they were like, oh, don't ask us any questions. I said, no, I won't. But I may ask you one. Those of you that have ever been in my class, you've heard this quote. We're talking about this with the teenagers, about, you know, staying pure until you're married. And my big, big, big quote to them, and hopefully they'll never, the one thing, when, when I'm 150, and they're, wow, that'd make you all old too, believe it or not. If they never remember anything else that I ever, ever taught them, I don't think they'll ever forget this. You're not married until you are until you are married you're not married until you are married and by the way that is a unique quote with me I've never seen it anywhere else you may have it you can write it down if you need to if you think you might forget it write it down but you are not married until you are married you're not married when you found the one. Oh, he's the one. Oh, she's the one. My soulmate. You're not married. You're not married when you're engaged. You're not married. You're not married until you're married. And God calls us to keep that marriage bed pure until after marriage and the third point is God will judge all the sexually immoral our society may tell us it's just sex no big deal it's a big deal to God almost every book in the New Testament mentions sexual immorality as sin in one form or another. In every long list of sins and abominations against God, sexual immorality is among them. As is the certainty of God's judgment on those who practice adultery and sexual immorality. In Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 24, Therefore, talking about the Gentiles, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the depravity, degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, they did not think it worthy to retain the knowledge of God. He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, greed, evil, 
and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and by the Spirit of God. Then in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that you, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Galatians chapter five. Beginning in verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Colossians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, holy. That each one of you should avoid sexual immorality and that you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And that in this manner no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure but to live a holy life. And then Revelation Chapter 21, verses 7 and 8. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and, will, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second Death. Again, we are in a society who is trying to sway us and make us believe that it's just not that big of a deal. 
To God, it's a big deal. All those lists, all those things, sexual immorality is put in there. When God says marriage ought to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, he means what he says. Now, forgiveness is possible. But as long as we are continually, rebelliously, purposefully, continuing to treat with disdain God's holy gift, we are in danger of God's wrath and judgment. Now there is, in the Old Testament, the prophet was condemning the people and talking to them. And he said, one of the things you do is you do not distinguish the difference between the holy and the common. Now, specifically, a lot of times he was talking about the Sabbath day. Ah, you, the Sabbath day, remember, God set it apart and made it holy. And they were treating it just like any other day of the week. But the principle applies to all those things that God has set apart as holy and honorable. Those things that he has ordained and sanctified. And when we treat marriage and the physical relationship God created for marriage, when we create, when we treat those things that he has called holy, special, when he has sanctified them and ordained them, and we treat them as ordinary, God says, I will not tolerate that. Our writer knew the environment in which his readers were living. He knew the pressures that they were under. He knew what society was telling them. And boy, he could have written it yesterday. And it couldn't have been more applicable to us. God calls us to honor marriage. Keep the marriage bed pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. I think it's important. This is why I hit the kids so hard. I think it's so important because of the society and environment in which we live. Because of all the information that we're getting out there from Satan and all of his tools that he uses. That we never forget what God has to say. God's intention. God's design, God's plan. And it's not just good for them. It's good for all of us to remember what God has told us about marriage and honoring it. If you're here this morning, there's some way we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come down as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. 
or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com, or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.